Hi, Dr. Brett Hill here. It's back to school time, and one thing us parents don't want is kids coming home complaining of sore feet. The flat, wide, and flexible shoes in the Vivo Barefoot Kids range is the perfect fit for your child's feet to grow up healthy and strong the way they're designed to. And the great news, the Wellness Couch listeners can get 30% off the Vivo Barefoot range until the 1st of February 2016. All you have to do is go to www.souldistribution.com.au forward slash the wellness couch. That's S-O-L-E distribution.com.au forward slash the wellness couch and enter the code the wellness couch. Vivo Barefoot, the original barefoot shoe since 2003. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up For A Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, Up For A Chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And our beautiful Cindy is on Morton (laughs) Island, the chart. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> being a, tr- a true a true entrepreneur who has earned some time off I would say oh, and I think you're right and I think I'm just a little bit jelly I think it's like my ultimate dream to grow up I when, you know what when I grow up I want to be Cindy just putting it out there I'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> oh I'm so excited about today welcome back sweetheart yeah I know it's been an amazing Christmas and an amazing break no doubt we're going to do a podcast, especially on what our breaks have uncovered for us and, and what the future is going to hold. But today, we've got a very special guest on our show, somebody who is, oh gosh, somebody who's very dear to all of our hearts. And um, this beautiful soul came into our lives as a result, for me personally, came into, into, into my life as a result of my relationship with the beautiful Jess Ainsco. And I always looked at Jess and the, her business and what she was creating and the beautiful, the beautiful message that she was able to deliver. And I always wondered, you know, how does, how does she do that? Like, how does, she, how does she really move and inspire people like she does? And there was, a, there, there was a name that always came up. And when I met this beautiful creature, I saw that she is a powerful creature she's gentle she's soft she's inspiring she's clear she's love on a stick she has a heart of a lion and a and a softness and a gentleness that makes a person feel like they're wrapped in a cloud when they're in her company and I really mean that from the bottom of my bottom when I, when I say that. So I, I really want to introduce you guys to somebody who is very dear to all of us. And this is the beautiful Yvette Luciano, CEO and founder of the incredible organization called Earth HQ. So welcome to today's show, you beautiful soft cloud. Karen, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for not only having me here today, but that was the most beautiful introduction I've ever received. I'm already <laughs> blubbering right at the beginning of this chat <laughs> with you guys. So thank you. And it's, you know, everything that you said is exactly how I feel about you guys and Cindy. And um, you're just, you know, 
such beautiful and significant women in my life and and yeah thank you so much for, for yeah for having me here well it's an honor and a pleasure because I think you know I think with all of the work that you're doing and the work that you continue to do and I mean we're going to get into you know what you've created here and I think our listeners are just going to be blown away but I think that the work that you're doing really needs to um, hit as many ears and move as many hearts and minds as we can possibly get across the globe because the message that you convey in everything that you do is all about the enhancement of humanity and it's all about the betterment of the individual so that then the collective can be more powerful. And I think that that just oozes through everything that you do, every message, every email, every time you speak, it, it's everywhere. And I'm really excited to have you on the show so that our what are we up to now, Kimmy? 2.5 million? Oh, gosh, I don't know, sweetheart. I, I, all I know is that the people that listen to this show, in particular up for a chat, Yvette, are just going to love what you're about because, yes, I, I appreciate we all belong to the Mutual Admiration Society, totally, and I really respect and honour that. But I think for our listeners today to hear your journey, your story, and then I don't know whether it's 2 million or 2.5 million. I'm not sure, Karen, but what I would love to say is that they're about to hear some of the best advice that anyone could ever get when it comes to launching themselves, to doing something with true soul and heart connections. So I would really love to start off asking you, Yvette Darling, how did this all start for you? Maybe you could take us back into your youth. I mean, I know you were a, a, in a rock band um, it still blows yeah. me away when I see photos of you looking, you know, you could have easily slotted into Pat Benatar's, uh, you know, on stage <laughs> with her um, or Joan Jett. You could have easily been in that era. But tell us how and where and what's led you to where you are today, sweetheart. Um, well, I guess that I I think it all started when, when I was 15 years old and I was a very depressed teenager and I was very depressed and lost. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life and growing up in a very wealthy and affluent area of Sydney and everyone was, you know, the plan was you go to university and you get a high-profile, high-paid job and that path, while it's incredible for so many people, I knew that it was not the path for me right back then and and I, I look back now and I know that that is the core reason why I was so depressed and then but then one night I was up um, watching Rage which um, you know Australians will know was is late night music videos on the weekend and I saw this there was a video series of these female um, front women rock stars and playing guitars and singing really angry and, and, you know, red lipstick everywhere. And I was just, I felt alive and I felt really excited. And for the first time, I, I was certain, I know now what I want to do. I want to do that. And the next morning, I picked up my brother's guitar and begged him to teach me how to play. And, and a couple of months later on, on my 16th birthday, begged my parents to buy me my own for my birthday. And from then it, uh, and then it just went from there and then I started my first band and, and sort of the path was, and I was lit up and I was so excited and, and full of life. And, and that eventually led to um, uh, in my late, late teens, early 20s. I started working at 
um, one of the biggest recording studios in Australia and um, doing my own gigs and promoting my gigs and my boyfriend's gigs and all of those kinds of things and learning how to get into media and having no idea what I was doing. But really, um, I, I just felt and I loved the music community and I just got right in there. And, and so do you sing, even? No, I don't sing. I was I was a bass player, so um, I, can't I love bass. Yeah, I was a bass player. That was that was my thing. And <laughs> oh my goodness, yay! Yeah, and then by my mid twenties, I I was just so in love with. I started to realize that I really loved uh, not only organizing my own bands gigs but also all of my friends and boyfriends bands gigs and by, by my mid-20s I got an amazing job at Sony Music um, one of the biggest record companies in the world and just went from and then just worked my little butt off and just and learned everything along the way and had some really amazing mentors in the industry as well who really took me under their wing and and taught me so much and um yeah, and, and then, but then, so everything was on track and I was going to start my own music management and touring company and you know, I had my whole vision. I was, I, so coming now into sort of when I was 29 and just got married to my beautiful husband who I met playing in a band with five years earlier <laughs> and um, who's an incredible musician and then when I was 29, we were on our honeymoon and um we were on, yeah, we we're on our honeymoon after having our amazing rock and roll wedding, and we having a great time. And then everything changed when I was in the shower one one night and at our you know beautiful suite in Fiji, and I found a big lump in my left breast. And from that moment, everything changed, and. You know, as the weeks, as the following weeks unfolded, I was diagnosed with a very aggressive breast cancer. How old were you? And 29. 29. So young. Yeah. And, and no breast cancer or anything like that in my family. So it was completely, um, you know, a complete shock. Yeah. That and must have been such a, so, that must have just totally rocked your foundations. How does a 29 year old take news like that? And reconcile that. How do you do? You remember what that was like for you? Yeah, I I do. I remember it. It, it feels so surreal, but I remember it so well, which is hard to explain. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, so this is now. Um, this October it will be six years ago that I was diagnosed. Yeah. So I mean, I I kind of at that time I it it was sort of planning mode as well because it was so aggressive we needed to make some decisions really really quickly and you know one of the most devastating things for me was that it, my 30th birthday party was just about to come up with which was a big music extravaganza with all my friends bands playing and all this kind of thing and, and I had to cancel it because I actually had to go and have a mastectomy for my 30th birthday instead oh, so no. so and obviously my career got put on hold and all of those things that just at the time it was just you know, I just had to do what I had to do. I don't even think I realized the impact at the time that it was having on me because I was just, you know, each day as it comes, preparing for surgery, preparing for the next thing, preparing for uh, my husband and I always desperately wanted to have children. So we had to do a lot of fertility preservation because we'd made the decision that I was going to have chemotherapy. 
And so we went through all of that, which is an ordeal in itself with which mm. with having to, um, at 29 years old, be thinking about eggs and creating embryos and all those kinds of things. But, you know, while, you're, while I was healing from a mastectomy, it was basically I had a mastectomy in November. I had IVF in um, the, for the fertility preservation just before Christmas in December. And in January, I started chemo. So it was this. Wow. It was, and the October I'd been diagnosed. So it was just, you know, every month was a new challenge. And I just had to just keep, I remember really clearly thinking to myself at the time that, you know, I just had to focus on the next thing because I couldn't think, I couldn't bear to think about the six months of chemo I was about to have or the radiation I was going to have after that or the five years of hormonal therapy I was going to have to have after that. And, you know, I just couldn't even think about it. I just had to keep focusing on that day, what I had to do that day. And I remember even going through a period of time of thinking every day that I don't have to go to the hospital is an awesome day. It's a reason to celebrate because I don't have to go to the hospital every day because there was a period that I was going in almost every day. And so I'd gone from, you know, Miss, um, you know, music industry party girl, uh, you know, right in the music scene and, and glamorous parties and touring and all these incredible fun things and to all of a sudden you know and at the hairdresser every two weeks and you know all that kind of thing to all of a sudden having mastectomy losing my hair you know all of those it, it just you couldn't go like the two completely drastically different life, lifestyles and experiences in such a short period of time so um Yvette, can I just interrupt you there for a second, sweetheart? Just, it's, you're absolutely right. I mean, one minute we're on this massive rock and roll lifestyle journey with you. We're all in the wedding. And, and I'm not sure if the listeners have just caught up with exactly what happened here. But that that is really how cancer can hit you. Some, mm -hmm. I, I would imagine that's how it is like being hit by a big, you know, truck. Um, I just want to ask, because a lot of people don't talk about the partners in this situation. Mm. How did Isaac cope? Or if, cope's a funny word. I, I'm not sure if that's the right word. But how did he help you or help himself deal with all of this as well? Because it's just as big for them, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think I'm so happy that you bring that up, Kim, because it is something that gets, I think, people really underestimate and it's a really easy thing to forget. And in some ways, obviously not always, but in some ways I think it can be harder on the partner than the person going through it and because they, they feel so helpless and they feel it is entirely, completely out of their control and they're having to watch someone that they love so much going through this really, really dark and challenging experience and and so many people will focus on the person going through it and support them. I mean, I had so much support and not only from my friends and family, I've always been lucky to have so many incredible people supporting me in my life and, you know, and the people that were not going to support me during that um, experience, I quickly, you know, were quickly removed from my life and, and you know, and, and, and that was a good thing. But I And luckily I just had so many amazing people that really... Um, supported me but you know I was also seeing a lot of healers and I was doing I took a really integrative approach so I was um, while I was doing you know I was doing everything from wheatgrass shots to chemo to you know everything and 
also, you know, I was, I had amazing healers. I had um, hypnotherapy every single morning on the way to every single of my 15 chemotherapy treatments that I had. I would have chemo on the way and, um, you know, which was one of the best things that I ever did because it really helped me um, see this, um, see the chemo as a really positive thing that was helping me, um, you know, it, it was kind of, it was, it was almost like an investment in my future life, kind of I, 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 I was <laughs> able to sort of have a relationship with it that was quite positive. Um, obviously, it was not all positive at all, but I was able to have as positive a relationship as anyone I believe can have with something like chemotherapy and and um, can, can you just reiterate that a little bit because I remember us having a conversation about that one night and it was really powerful so rather than the chemo um, killing bad cells or doing something you know to help the badness just tell me the language that you used in or into each of those sessions yeah so there's a there's a few things one is at uh, the liquid gold um, sort of vision, which I found, I, I really loved that one. Another one was the sort of visioning it being this beautiful healing kind of like almost like a water that would just wash away the cancer cells and believing that they actually wanted to go. So I was not fighting the cancer. I was helping the cancer leave the body and believing that it wanted to leave anyway and that I was just helping it along along the way. So doing a lot of those kinds of visualizations and even to a point of, um, of sort of visualizing the when the, um, the, the actual chemotherapy would be sort of coming, coming. So it sort of sits in a bag almost above you, kind of like a drip and, and, and drips down into your arm. And I would do visualizations of that actually being a tree and the tree um, sort of dripping me with this amazing um, medicine or, or, you know, or liquid gold or, or whatever it was that day that I was feeling connected to. So there was a lot of things like that that I did. I also did a lot of, you know, I, I would sit in, in chemo um, with my headphones on listening to things like Louise Hay or, uh, you know, guided visualizations by Louise Hay or, or just beautiful talks by Wayne Dyer or, you know, just really beautiful, peaceful, calming things. And I would read health magazines, like, which is the funniest thing to think. I would, I would sit there reading these, all these health magazines, sitting in chemo. I must have looked like, you know, this crazy girl. But, um, but it was, but also I felt at that time that, you know, the one thing that I could control was the food that I was putting in my body and the, the thoughts I was putting into my mind. And so that really helped me feel so empowered through that whole experience. And, and also the whole time I was planning what I was going to do after the chemo. So I was planning, this is how I'm going to cleanse the treatment later on and this is how I'm going to you know and this is the life that I'm going to live afterwards and really visualizing the life I was going to have again and visualizing the day that I was going to have my hair again and visualizing what that would look like and visualizing what color I might dye it when it comes when I've got it again and you know all those kinds of things the things that the wild and crazy things I'm going to do with my hair next time I have hair and because I was oh. always playing it safer for it you know I just really trying to there were so many um was Isaac a part of that with you Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And he and, and and going back to your question about about um 
you know, partners in this. And, and I mean, I talking from my partner, Isaac, who is absolutely amazing. And, um, you know, we've been together for 10 years now, five of them married. Um, but, you know, and he's only, you know, fairly young like me. So he was only he's a couple of years older than me, but he was only about 32 when I was diagnosed. And, you know, which is awful for any husband to go through. But, you know, a 32-year-old husband who's just none of his friends are going to get it. None of his, you know, no one, it's just so, such, uh, you know, this, his, his newlywed wife, um, you know, and then everything else that he had to go through with that as well. Like his baby plans got put on, you know, all of these things. Um, he became a carer pretty much, you know, overnight instead of him being the one being, you know, the one coming and picking me up when I'd had too much to drink at some crazy music industry party, he was the one, you know, holding my hair back when I was sick and helping me heal from surgery and, um, you know, just, that's just completely life-changing. It's completely life-changing, but it also was um, such an amazing thing for our relationship in so many ways, the bonds that we have now that we already had, we already had a really great bond, but the bond that we had that, you know, was strengthened just so deeply and, and I remember one night when I was having a, a bit of a breakdown and going on about how awful I looked because also the steroids were making me from, from, from the, were helping me not be, not feel really sick from the treatment, but it was making me really puffy and I was already looking really awful. And I had a cry one night about, oh, I used to be so hot. And now I'm awful. Now I'm hideous. And that, that whole thing. And, um, and how, oh, how can you still love me? I was, you know, just one of those moments. And I remember him saying to me, oh, but none of this, none of this means anything. Your essence is still the same. And it was just such a beautiful, beautiful thing to say. And, you know, this, this 32 year old rock and roll husband guy, like saying this, this beautiful thing. And, mm. and, um, and that's the way it was, you know, like he, he was just so beautiful and still is so beautiful. And he supported every life, every lifestyle change that we made. And, you know, I remember him, you know, detoxing all the chemicals out of the house and all the products and stuff. And I remember him one day saying to me, do you think it might be okay if maybe one day I can use a real soap? Like, cause he, he was, I was trying out all these like hippie soaps and stuff until I found the good ones. Like, I feel like. But he's, you know, so he's along this journey as well and he's eating kale and he's like eating all these things just going oh okay what, what's this all about but, and drinking drinking green juice with me and and pretending he liked it and it wasn't until a year later that he was admitting to me he actually didn't really like a lot of the stuff that I was giving him but, but he wanted to support me along the way and and even sometimes when we'd be doing, you know, when we'd be driving somewhere and he'd be listening to Wayne Dyer or Dizak Chopra or Louise Hay or something in, in the car with me and, and, and just, you know, really getting into it. And, you know, it was such a massive, massive lifestyle change. And, and he, um, yeah, just he just has thrived with it as well. And then, and then eventually when it got to the point that, um, after, so after all these treatments and then, and then I, so I had six months of chemo and then I had six weeks of, of radiation and then, um, things were starting to look good and my doctors were really happy with, with my scans and my bloods and everything was looking really great. And, and, um, and I'd gotten through all my treatment really, really well, with very minimal, um, you know, I mean, obviously side effects, but definitely the minimal side of it, um, my age and a few other things probably helped that um, being quite young but um 
But then after that, when it got to the point of, okay, well, I'm well now, here we go, back into the music industry and talking to, you know, different people and different companies and all these amazing opportunities coming through for me and, and, and the industry was actually incredibly supportive of me. Um, everyone that, that I knew were just amazing and offering me roles and all these amazing opportunities, but something just didn't feel right anymore for me. So even though I thought that I would just go straight back, and I'd been telling myself that for the year that I'd been out, that... I'll go, I'll go straight back in, nothing will have changed. I won't, nothing will change, I'm going to just go back straight back in. But it all of a sudden just didn't feel, it just didn't feel right anymore for me. And, and um, you know, and, and I mean, I, I definitely missed the fun of it and, and I still do sometimes, but it just didn't feel right any, anymore for me. And I discovered so much about myself, but also so much about this healing world and I you know, the experiences that I'd had with my healers and um, my spiritual healers with, and my naturopath and, and all sorts of different people that I was, I was seeing and that were helping me and books that I was reading and podcasts that I was listening to. And, and it, I just, you know, as we all know, once we sort of find that light and see that light and, and something in us lights up, it's really hard to then walk away from that and I became so devoted to really wanting to share a lot of this with the world and particularly the fact that that things that I was doing like hypno before chemo and you know things like that that really helped me I I really loved sharing with other people so I would be sitting in the cancer hospitals telling everyone all these things and you know oh, maybe you could try this and maybe you could try that and even like the women that were having really bad constipation from the treatment because that, that tends to be a side effect. I was like, nah, you just got to have your green juice, you got to get into your prunes, you got to do this. And I'm like giving them all these tips because I never had to have any constipation medication and I was so proud of that. And I was, and, you know, so I'm, I'm giving all this, you know, totally unsolicited advice to everyone that I could about things that they could do. And, but it's all harmless, so the nurses didn't mind because, it, it, you know, and, um, and, and they knew that I had good intentions. And, and, and all, but also, my oncologist said this to me once that, you know, whatever you're doing, keep doing it because you're going really well. Things are going really, really well. So they were very supportive of me, luckily. Can I, can I just ask you a quick question on that? And it, just, it yeah. just brought it up as you were telling the story there. When you were going through it and you were seeing that your journey was happening more smoothly or it had a bit more flow in it and you, in comparison to the others, you know when you go through something so profound and life-changing like that and you've got a clear way of managing it, is your first inclination while you're going through it in the middle of it, is your first inclination to also help others? Like, is that what you're thinking of at the, at the same time as you're helping yourself? Well, for me, I think it was that I was personally so excited about discovering all this because keeping in mind that before I, before I was diagnosed with cancer, I didn't really know much about, you know, like I had done some yoga and I'd done, but I'd never really done meditation and I definitely didn't eat healthy at all and I had no idea what kale was and, you know, things like that. So I think I was, I also had that, you know, excitement that a lot of people have when they first start coming into this world and they're like oh my god this is making me feel amazing I just want everyone to feel this amazing I want everyone to read this book or try this recipe or do this thing that's going to help them and and that and I guess yeah that feeling of of wanting to 
I think it's also the the PR person in me that's kind of ingrained in me that I'm always, when I love something, I need to tell every single person on the planet about it. I need every <laughs> single person to, to, you know, see how amazing this thing is. And all of a sudden I became this PR person for integrative, an integrative approach to cancer or something without even realizing at the time what, I, what that was or what I was doing. But, you know, also I, I saw people that were um, suffering in a way that I felt was not necessary and things that I felt like, oh, maybe this can help them. I mean, that enthusiasm that I had back then, I still absolutely have and and a big devotion in my life moving forward is really bringing an integrative approach um, to cancer into the mainstream. Um, It's something that I'm taking... um, slow but steady steps towards doing because I need to be in the right place. And I, I, I need to be in the right place to do that myself. And I also feel that the more that time goes by, the more perspective I have of it, the more different people that I meet, the more different journeys that I hear. So just because certain things were helping me at that time, it doesn't mean that if someone else did that exact same thing, that that's going to exactly help mm-hmm. them in the exact same way. Cause there was, there's so many other things at play so the great thing is that over these years I've developed that perspective whereas at that time you know and and me knowing things now like the fact that someone that's 20 the the one only good thing about being 29 and and having cancer and going through treatments like that as opposed to being you know 70 is that you're going to bounce back quicker yeah and your body is going to be more resilient so and it's unlikely that you have lots of other complicated health issues. You probably have a good, you know, good kidneys, good liver, good bowel functioning, good, you know, all of those things. So I'm, I'm, you know, I've learned a lot over the years about not assuming that um, just because something works really well for me that it's going to work for everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I feel like there's a lot of things that I really believe in that there's a lot of research, research in. Um, and a lot of common threads with lots of different people that I've spoken with over the last five years that I think does need to be- come out and become a lot more, um, I guess, known and accepted um, in the mainstream. And there are some oncologists that are doing incredible things um, in this field, absolutely. Even, you know, one of my oncologists in Sydney who's a, um, a head of radiation oncology at one of the major hospitals in Sydney and she, and I've got a little bit of a girl crush on her because she's just so amazing. And she, <laughs> I remember five years ago when I first met her and she said to me, I really think that it would be good for you to do some acupuncture while you're having, while you're going through radiation with us. And I said, oh, okay, whatever, what is that? You know, because I was still, that was still very, very early when I was having that conversation with her. And over the years, she has now got, she has now rallied to have and now succeeded in getting free acupuncture two days a week for everyone in her hospital going through radiation. So, you know, and so this is where I'm saying that, I mean, there are still some oncologists that are very old school and that that's just, you know, and we just need to pray that that they will, you know, open their minds and and, and I think that the day is coming that they're just going to be, they're just going to have to. Um, But... There are definitely people, there are definitely oncologists out there that are seeing a lot of this amazing, you know, when we integrate both and, and I guess, you know, one of, the, one of the places that I'm starting to come to about this is that, you know, my radiation oncologist isn't walking around saying that the acupuncture 
acupuncture is going to cure the cancer. What my radiation oncologist is saying is that the acupuncture is going to help the, help the person with the cancer get through their treatment. Mm. And when you help them get through their treatment, the chances are they're going to finish their treatment. They're not going to stop halfway through, which is what happens with a lot of people that go through this kind of treatment. Or, you know, the kind of, or, or the endocrine therapy that I'm, that I continue to be on to um, look after my hormones because the um, cancer that I had was extremely estrogen receptive. And um, that's a whole other story, but, um, and I've tried different things, including a natural approach to, to, to um, dealing, working out these hormones, but nothing, nothing else works besides this particular medication that, that I'm, I'm back on now and it's doing a great job. But one of the reasons why people do not stay on this medication that, you know, does really well for young women with breast cancer, one of the reasons why people go off it is because of issues with anxiety and issues with depression, which, which is a result and a, and a massive common side effect of this medication that I'm on. So me going to my kinesiologist and my counsellors and my, you know, massage therapists and my whoever, what, everything that I can do to help me manage these side effects of this treatment is keeping me on. Yeah, my, my kinesiologist is not curing my cancer or treating my cancer, but my kinesiologist is helping me stay on the treatment that is helping manage my cancer and helping me treat um, any loose little flying cancer cells that might be in my body. So if you guys see my point of what I'm trying to say that it's, you know, all of these amazing therapies can help people, um, you know, or even visualizations when people are healing from surgeries. It is, there's some amazing, amazing studies about that. And it is so, and even when we just look at the fact that, that there's an undeniable um, link between stress and cancer, there's so much research out there about chronic stress, not, not like stress, like you, you have one stressful day, that's fine, our bodies know how to deal with that, but I'm, I'm talking chronic stress, where we're stressed every day for long, extended periods of time, that, you know, those links between that and cancer. And so how do, how, who can say that? you know, things like meditation and kinesiology and things like that. How do we know that those things aren't helping us prevent cancer in the first place as well? So Absolutely. I, you know, like I'm a huge believer in that what goes on in the mind also manifests in the body if the environment is right. And I think that what you've just said there is like, and I, and I often wonder, you know, when uh, we do go through these dramatic life-changing illnesses, that's when we go in search of these beautiful therapies to try and support ourselves. But if we were supporting ourselves with them prior to, it begs the question, would we have ever been in that situation? And, and I, you know, like I don't know that it's a question that anybody can actually answer, but I think it's if, if nothing else, it's an encouragement for us to be in support of ourselves on a constant basis, whether those illnesses are there or they're not there. It's a it's 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 a invitation of self-care isn't it really absolutely yeah i want to i want to ask you both something here because karen has often said um yvette that she took one for the team she yes. uh, you know she uh, as we know survived the bali bomb um 2012 was um Two. 2002 sorry um and we know that when we've heard karen tell her story which is a phenomenal story in itself and i I'm getting goose pimples listening to yours in the same way I hear hers. Mm. But one thing that you said just before was that 
this was the first time you'd really started to notice the light within. And just alluding to what Karen's saying there, does it take a major illness or a bomb? Why do you think people don't see that light within? What do you think is the missing link or what do you think could we help or could we help ourselves to see that light before an illness or a bomb or something like that? Is there, a, is there an answer there, either of you? I think that's a damn good question. I think, yeah, it's a really great, really great question. What do and you think? I definitely wish that there was a way for people to, you know, realise that without having to go through something so tragic um, or so traumatic. Um, I don't know that I ever would because I was so in my, I don't know, in my own little, I want to say in my own little world, but it, it's kind of in the, in this, I don't know. I, I mean, I, it's funny because I've, to, I've talked with, just, just recently with one of my dear friends, um, Amanda Rootsy, who you guys know very well and, mm-hmm. and you've done a beautiful um, chat with and, she uh, and she's, you know, a fellow, a fellow cancer thriver like myself. And I said to her that, you know, it's really interesting because I've, I've only recently realized that some of my happiest days were even during my treatments. And I'm really just starting to get my head around that. And re- I'm trying to understand what that means. What, what does that mean? And because and and Mandy agrees with me. And... I realize that it's the moments that I got to know my true self and the moments that I realized how freaking awesome I am, like that I would go through awful, awful days, awful news, awful experiences during that time and the fact that I could rise up and still go and like smile and go and be appreciative of my life and, and be like, I can get through this and I'm going to be really amazing and I'm going to uh, – and I had so much. I was so proud of myself. I was like, wow, I'm pretty awesome. And it was just – and I started to develop self-love, which was something that I always definitely suffered from a lack of. I always had, um, you know, very little self-love and I did some beautiful work with one of my healers around you know my the heart chakra and and so much work over many many months um healing that um many years ago which was amazing and a big part of my healing i believe but the fact that i started those moments of incredible joy that i experienced when i started to realize that life could be so much better than what it had been for me for my whole life because i'd started to because it was sort of like oh, wow, I've been in the dark for the last 29 years of my life. I didn't realize how amazing I am. I didn't realize how amazing life is. I didn't realize how simple things could be so incredible. I didn't realize that I don't need some big fancy party with big fancy rock stars to be, to be really happy, you know. I can be walking along the beach with no hair and one boob and, you know, bloated from hormones and but still be having a really nice time because there's a really pretty bird over there and this water on my feet feels so amazing and I'm awesome and just, you know, just, just that. And I've got this amazing husband. How can he be so amazing? And, and all of a sudden the simplicity of things and, the, and even though I was experiencing such a dark thing, you know, I was definitely experiencing so much light and discovering that light that then cannot be, cannot be ever vanish it can it, it, like for me it's, it's it's been impossible for that to vanish and and 
so it was almost like, you know, there was the darkness and the cancer, but there was definitely the light. It's it, it, so the cancer, in many ways, cured my lack of self love and my and and parts of my ego and parts of my. It sort of cured all that and so much of that. I mean, it's still a journey. I'm still absolutely not I don't walk around every single day of my life whistling and looking at the pretty birds and you know by any means but it's it, almost like you girls are saying to me you know I, I yes I've been brought to my knees and yes I have not been able to breathe with news and yes I'm sure in fact there's no one I have met and I, and I beg to ask the two of you the same thing that you've met that haven't um, gone through challenges or some sort of struggle or at least been there through someone else's pain and struggle but would you both agree that it's almost like we as part of the human experience if we choose to call it pain or challenge or transition or struggle whatever though that word is it's almost like as if I'm hearing you that to, to really fully embellish what it means to be human and experience love and joy and happiness and and nature we we almost part of experience is to be brought to our knees or to be challenged in darkness and pain it just comes in different packages for us perhaps it's the loss of a father or a hideous experience as a teenager or a a, a mother that never said she loved you or a whole loss of money or a, an illness or a bomb or what, what are both your thoughts on that? Because I'm listening to you and I know Karen and it's kind of weird hearing the joy in your voice out of such trauma, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's a really good line of questioning, I think. And I think a lot of people, you know, even when I'm speaking, a lot of the times, you know, people will say, how did you do it? Like, how do you come through it? I think... The very nature of being human, living in today's society, is is the epitome of distraction. You know, there's so much to be distracted by. There's money, there's success, there's making it in this world, there's the pressures that are on us, there's the business, there's the jobs, there's the expectation that we'll be something. And when you go through something life-changing like Yvette has, um, and, you know, many of our listeners have been through, I'm sure they can relate to it as well. And for myself, the the most potent part of it is all distraction is removed and you're only focusing on the immediate here and now because the nature of those life-altering experiences is it alters your life and it alters your perspective on life so that you can't think or be or do or experience anything other than what's available in the present moment. And... You know, I think that it's it's more than the actual experience of the pain and the suffering, although that's definitely part of it. But I just wonder if sometimes that extent of contrast for those of us that are blessed with it, that extent of the contrast is necessary in order to bring our awareness back to the non-distracted mode of operating where, like Yvette was saying, she can walk down the beach and appreciate a pretty bird, whereas before she wouldn't have heard it or if she did it would have irritated her because she was so busy doing other things. Yeah. yeah. And I think to be able to be present to one's world and to be in a full state of awareness and presence of one's world is, and I know this is going to sound a little bit out there, but it's kind of like the real wake up. Mm. 
And I think in the state of distraction, which all of us are in 99% of the time, that's the definition of being asleep. It's this coma that we all live in, but because everybody in our neighborhood is in the same coma, we assume that we're in the right place, when the reality is quite the opposite. And there are people you know, that go through these dramatic changes that are part of the big slap in the chops wake up call to say, hang on a second, you've been living in a, in, a, in a coma when the reality is passing you by. Don't be dead before you die. Be alive while you're alive because that's what life is for. Um, and I think that can a person get that without going through massive contrast? Well, I live in hope. I sit with my arms, legs, fingers, toes and nose hairs crossed. <laughs> That everybody that we bring onto this show and everybody that we talk to, you know, on Karen's couch and everybody that we come across and, 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 and get close to can somehow communicate a message that just even just even the slightest little spark creates a little bit of an awakening so that the world doesn't have to come to its knees to, 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 to get the wake up. But you know, I mean, I know this is getting a bit general, but you don't have to look too far outside of our front doors to see that we are imploding um, on ourselves. And I think that the more of us that are willing to take our experiences like Yvette and, you know, like the beautiful and extraordinary business that she's gone ahead and created, the more people are willing to stand for what they've been through, how they experienced it, what they learned from it stand for that and share that with as many people who will listen, then I think we've got, we've got an, an opportunity to start to create a, a shift in the mindset of, of mankind. And, you know, I get quite emotional when I think about that because I think that in a lot of, in a lot of um, certainly for me, certainly for me, I, I really feel that, there are some of us that can take it for the team. And I really believe that those of us that go through these things and survive them, it's not because there was anything wrong with us or there was anything bad. In fact, in actual fact, it's the opposite. It's that we were willing to become the conduit for change for humanity. There you go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, it almost, almost, you know, I guess the the contract that we signed that our soul signed when we were entering this this earth and 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 yeah and I think that one of the amazing things about a lot of people that do go through something um you know like like this um or anything you know really significantly challenging is that quite often the course correct that it does for your life um, it's, you know, I sort of feel like, sometimes I feel like the universe let me have this really fun, really playful teens and twenties with my, with, you know, the bands and the rock stars and all that kind of thing. It was, it was almost like I hear you go, you're going to, you're going to go, you're going to have fun. This is almost going to be like preschool. This is going to be your, this is just going to be a time for you to play. Just go and play, go and be a party girl and go and play. Because then, because you, before you came into this, what you don't, you, what you may not realize, what your human brain might not realize in this moment is that your soul signed a contract when you were, you know, before you were born saying that you were going to come and make some, make some serious change in this world. So you go and have fun. And you're, going to, and you're also going to learn a lot of the skills that you need. See, in, that, in those 15 years, I learned so much about 
following your dreams, being fearless, um, going for something that so many other people think is ridiculous, like being a rock star, like quitting, like quitting school, quitting high school to go and be a rock star. I mean, really, like ridiculous. But I did it and I landed on my feet. And not only did I land on my feet, but I ended up with one of, you know, the most coveted roles in Australia at one of the most amazing companies, you know, it, by, by my mid-20s. Like it, it was in, working with everyone's, you know, favourite rock stars and pop stars and all, all those kinds of things. That, so, and along that way, learning so much about marketing, PR, events, touring, raising platforms, putting amazing people into the spotlight, building their communities, building their tribes, building their audiences, nurturing their audiences, all of these things so that I can now, and then there was the course correct when I, you know, through, through my, my health, that then all of a sudden I'm 31 years old being told that, okay, you're well, you're not 100% and you'll actually never be. So that's another thing I need to, need to mention that, you know, that I, my cancer is considered to be a chronic condition now that it that can never be cured um, because I do have some little tiny spots um, in, in my bone, so for transparency, um, which I've been living with for, for many years now and hopefully um, will continue to live with for quite some time. And that I basically, so 31, trying to work out, what am I going to do? And, but I was so passionate. So I had all these skills, all this experience, but I was so passionate about this health world and this world of spirituality. And, and so I started to study. I, I, so I was like, oh, well, maybe I'm just going to, maybe I'm going to be a health coach. That's what I'm going to do. And I started doing that for a little while and I loved it. And, but then I was like, oh, no, no, but there's something more here. There's something more here. So then I started yoga teacher training and all sorts of other things. But then the most exciting thing happened when I started to help other people who I absolutely loved. Um, people like my beautiful angel, Jess Ainsco, people like Amanda Rootsy, people, you know, all of these beautiful people who, who were my friends, who had become my friends, on helping them with their, build their platforms and that was pretty much how the beginning of Earth HQ and the beginning of Earth Events and how all of that came about. And that only happened, that was, that, and that is all a result of, you know, the experience that I had with my health. Um, if, if it, do you think that your journey through this whole experience of cancer? has now made you so alert that you have at like almost like your antennae is up and you find when you meet people, do you feel you connect right into their source if they're open on a similar level um, or not? Um, how do you relate to humans now um, with everything you've learned and everything you're doing and all that you're about, can you just tell us how the framework of cancer as your experience has now brought you to a new realm of being? Like, like I've heard what you're talking about as far as your journey is concerned, but now I want to I get to the essence of you as to what your outlook is now around 
humans and their platforms and who they are. I'm trying to think how to answer that question. <laughs> so do you mean in the, like, you know, my devotion to wanting to help people? Yes. Or, yeah. yes. So, I mean, one of my biggest things that brings me so much joy is knowing that this experience that I had is the catalyst for helping so many other people who maybe not only are going through a similar thing or, or, or another type of hard time, but my greatest intention with it all is to prevent people being in that situation in the first place. So almost every single thing that I do comes back to is this going to prevent more 29-year-old girls lying on an operating table waiting for a cancer surgery or sitting in a chemo chair or, you know, how does this all, you know, how does this all affect that? How, is me doing this going to help change, help change that in some way? And, you know, and but that's become more over the, over the years, though, that's become it's not actually just about cancer. It's about, you know, people finding themselves in, I, I, I just want people to feel better physically, spiritually, emotionally, you know, in all sorts of ways. I just want the world to feel better. And, you know, so it's become, you know, I don't want people to feel I just don't want the world to be in so much pain anymore. And, and, yet, and yet it's through the pain that you've been talking about. That I we know, actually, yeah. Yeah, it's, so, it's such a good point. Mm. And that is my question when I listen to this, is that is it, is it about um, not necessarily stopping the pain but perhaps teaching and giving people the, the tools, the... The, the navigation skills, the, the courage to actually, um, you know, face it head on rather than resorting to drugs or alcohol or, or, or trying to create a blur around the pains of life but rather transitioning through them or, or sorry, not even transitioning but, but at least working through them in order to find their compass, their own direction because it's surely it's the ripple effect that we all have within our little tribes and our communities then through our own ex unique experiences that gives each other that ability to find our own source our own soul our own being our own reasons is it's kind of weird isn't it that, that we I know, look at i know and and maybe what it maybe what it comes down to a big thing that i really um dove into last year because last year was a, a really awful year for me for, for several reasons and, and but it was really really awful and but I realized that resilience and learning to thrive through you know whether it's a health situation or a life situation or losing someone that you love so much it's 
yeah, it, it, it's that like learning to thrive and learning to that resilience and still finding joy and peace and, you know, fun. How do you find fun again in your life when you go through something so tragic and especially if it's something that actually was relating to someone else? I mean, is it something that, that, that Karen, I would love to know what you, what you think about that, Karen, that, you know, if, it, if it's that someone so important to you that you love so much has passed, how do you you know, going through that process of, of almost, you know, a guilt in, in being able to have fun when they're, after they're gone, you know. Mm. You know, that might take such a long time to, to get to that point. Uh, I mean, after Jess passed away, it was months and months until I had, had any sort of fun. And, and then even I, 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 but then I even had a weird relationship with it. It sort of felt a bit weird that I, a bit, and I had a bit of survivor guilt. And then, um, but then I, that, then, but then that since changed in, you know, the last few months that I'm like, no, 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 well, I'm having the joy that she would want me to be having for her. I, I, I'm going to have double the joy. I'm going to have double the fun because I'm going to have fun on her behalf, like for her so that she can feel it through me kind of, cause that's what she would have wanted because that's what kind of person she was. Um, I don't know. I mean, for, so for me, I guess the, um, I sort of forgotten the question now. Sorry, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, I guess for me, you know, uh, it, you know that maybe yeah, that maybe it isn't so much about preventing all of this awful stuff happening because I guess awful stuff is going to happen in the world no matter what we do, unfortunately. But it's I guess helping people feel better and thrive through it and and still find very soul fulfilling lives regardless of of what they've experienced yeah i think i think you've hit the nail on the head there i think you know the emotional roller coaster that a person goes through when you go through loss like you have um you know in in losing jess and i think a lot of our listeners you know they would have gone through their own loss in in whatever way shape or form that it, it shows up it is hard like it's 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 tough to to laugh again and to smile again and to not feel like you shouldn't be and you don't deserve it um but i think what you said there is 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 great and if a person can be on bended knee for a shorter period of time because of what you've just said there i think that in and of itself is life-changing because if, you know like a lot of people will be in, be on bended ye, bended knee for 10 years 20 years 30 years robbing themselves of any joy when you know with what you've just said there is i'm going to have fun for her you know i think that that life is for the living and you know my friend jody who was killed in bali she always used to say to me after greg committed suicide she'd always say to me come on kaza life is for the living life is for the living and if he was still here he'd be living his life too and as much as that was really challenging to hear it at the time because all I wanted to do was wallow in my sorrow I think it is a profound statement when you are here when you are living on this planet you are alive and you know life is about being alive so you're either being alive lying in your bed or you're being alive experiencing life but either way you're still alive you're still here and I think that the person that you've lost or, or, you know, they would want you to be continuing to have fun. 
But I love the way that you say, I'm going to do it for her. I'm going to have the fun she was going to have and I'm going to have double the fun. I'm going to make my life double as good because if she was here, she'd be doing it that big too, you know. And and that's a huge inspiration and that's a huge kick in the freckle to get a person out of bed every day to say, I'm doing it for me and for you Mm. because together we're a powerhouse. And it's almost as if that person now can sort of meld into you and be part of you in the most profound way that what you could have done on your own is now amplified because they're a part of you. And I, I love it. I think it's amazing. Yeah. I, think it, I think that is such a oh, – it's, it's so inspiring. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's awesome mm. source. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things, especially because one of the things that – um, you know, some people don't really realize about Jess was that she was actually really a lot of fun. Like she was so, so, so fun and, and probably more wild than a lot of people realize as well. Like she was, and she was, and she was very cheeky and she was just so fun. And so that is really important to me. And also, um, you know, from a work perspective, the most amazing thing that's happened to me since since Jess passed almost a year ago now is that every single decision, work decision, business decision that I've made since the day that she passed, I've really thought, what would Jess want me to do here? What would she, if I called her, so she was still here and I called her and I said, I'm thinking about doing this or I'm thinking about doing that or I've got this opportunity or I've got this idea or I've got this... What would she say to me about it? Because Jess knew me so well. We knew each other from a in, in, career and business life, and knew each other very, very well about what you know, what was in, you know, what we truly love to do, and and um, we were definitely driven um, and devoted to the same things. And and it's really helped me so much. I I almost like see her as my spiritual co CEO or something like that. You know. Nice. Okay, Jess, what, should, what, what do you think I should do here? And, but, you know, but you know what I'm actually thinking? I'm actually thinking that this is a great opportunity right now, thanks to Taylor, for <laughs> us to potentially wrap up this first interview because, Yvette, I actually think that we need to do a part two with you where we talk about how you've taken that immense fun and how you've got a new CEO of your organisation in the form <laughs> of a Jess Ains Co. I think that that could be our next podcast with you. So why don't we wrap up this one and um, we can keep going with, the, with, with part two. How do you feel about that? Sounds great. Because we love oh, having you. You're awesome. Oh, <laughs> darling, I'm so sorry about that. Poor Taylor's getting all the ice out of the machine to get to ice her feet. Um, oh, she's just had a whole day at the Queensland Ballet. But I, because seriously, Yvette, I'd love to carry on the conversation because there's so much to talk about with what you've learned and where you've taken this now into your beautiful business with Soulpreneur, which... I think if we can give some really good tips out to our beautiful listeners, they're going to love part two of this. So, yeah, I'd love that, Kaz. Awesome. Well, let's wrap it up. So join us on the next week's podcast because we're going to have the gorgeous Yvette continuing her stunning story, and I'm totally enthralled, so I don't know about you guys. And if you can wait a week, good luck. So... (laughs) (laughs) So make sure that you go to our Facebook page at allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat and post any questions that you have for the gorgeous Yvette. We're also going to post all of Yvette's links on our Facebook page for you. 
and um, also it will be in the notes so that you can reach out to Yvette and contact her on her website and Facebook pages as well. So go to our Facebook page, all the W's dot uh, facebook.com forward slash up for a chat and you can also find us at all the w's dot the wellness couch dot com forward slash up for a chat and you can post any comments that you have right there so join us here next week on up for a chat where we're going to be talking to yvette once again join us here where we can all collectively together with our hands tied around each other and our arms embracing the world and make this world a better place join us here on up for a chat and we're going to see you on the ride Big smooches and Happy New Year, everybody. Hi, it's Damien Christoph here. Are you ready to take your life to the most incredible level possible in 2016? Well, we've had three sold-out wellness summits these last few years, but honestly, nothing comes close to the wellness breakthrough, and we have just three spots remaining. Your favorite wellness couch experts, the wellness guys, Karen Smith, Kim Morrison, Quirky Cookings, Joe Witten, Marcus Pierce, and of course, Carl Brock are gathering in the Dandenong Ranges for three days and two nights for one incredible event. If you want possibly the greatest peer group in health and wellness to help you catapult your life to the next level, then we'd love to see you at the Wellness Breakthrough from February 5th to the 7th. But again, there's only three spots available. Entry to the breakthrough is by application only, and to apply, simply email your contact details to marcus at thewellnesscouch.com. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.